You're listening to Happy and Holy, the podcast where scripture comes to life through a small group discussion. I'm your host, Kate Boyd. I'm an author and Bible teacher who is making space in the church for Christians caught in the messy middle, conservative and progressive, between loving the church and leaving it. We love Jesus, love people, with God and each other for a better world. Welcome to the show. Joining me for this season are Robert Callahan and Amanda Waldron. And this season, we're taking it all the way back to the Hebrew Bible with a walk through 1 Samuel. And you get to be a fly on the wall to see what new things we learn with and from one another as we engage scripture in community. On today's episode, we jump into 1 Samuel 7 and 8, where we talk about the downfall of yet another spiritual dynasty, pets that are coming inside and outside the house, whether or not we really want the kingship of God. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's me, Kate, with this beautiful allergy voice that you can hear. <laughs> um, like, it just won't go away ever since we landed home. Your this is, winter this voice. Is, this is just what I sound like now. This is just how I am. I'm sorry. But you're all going to have to live with it. And I'm here with Amanda and Robert. Hey, guys. Hey. What's up? That's we're really continuing, what, we're continuing our journey. <laughs> <laughs> That's your cold voice, Robert. <laughs> Should, do we go 14. old school with like the waza? <laughs> no, no. What no, are we're you not doing? doing? I'm done. I'm done with everything from my cut that out. It's not worth it. <laughs> no, keep it. Keep it. Let's go. Keep it. <laughs> yeah. So we're continuing First Samuel and jumping into chapters seven and eight. Which had some very interesting, I think there'll be some very interesting conversations because there's some, I feel like I see a lot of parallels to some of the things that we might be experiencing mm-hmm. <laughs> today. Um, so I think that'll be good to to dive into. So to kick us off, Amanda, will you recap what happens in chapter seven and then we can talk about some of the specifics as to like what we were thinking and reacting to there? Yes. So if you recall, we last left. The Ark had been returned to the Israelites. It's been a minute, yeah. A lot of stuff was happening. (laughs) So they got the Ark of the Covenant back and they actually just, it went to this town in Israel and it stayed there for 20 years. So chapter seven starts 20 years after chapter six. So... Hmm. The people, I don't know, I don't know what was happening in this in-between time, but they, they finally come to Samuel and they're like, where's, where's God been? He's been kind of silent these last 20 years. And so they start to do some of these atonement rituals. Samuel's like, you got to get rid of this other God stuff. And so they decide to gather in this place, Mitzvah, and they're doing these, these rituals to try to appeal to God. Um, and in the meantime, the Philistines are still in the area and they see what's going on and they're like, everyone's gathering here. We need to get ready. And so they go out to attack the Israelites. And during this, God hears the prayers of the Israelites and answers them in this, my version says, mighty voice of thunder. And it confused the, is the Philistines and the Israelites were able to have victory. Um, or I don't even know if I'd say that. The Israelites were able to... <laughs> They didn't lose. Disperse the Philistines. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to go into chapter eight, but I think that's, and then Samuel sets up a little altar and calls it Ebenezer, <laughs> the stone of help. That's right. And he hangs out and then he visits towns. It's really lovely. Yeah. He goes on a speaking right tour. Yeah. <laughs> You know what this reminds me of is like there's this 20 year period where the ark is claimed and, and is in one place. It's like in the 90s, like there was this run where like the Buffalo Bills were going up against the Dallas Cowboys. It seemed like every Super Bowl and like they just could not bring the title home. And so it's like <laughs> if you're Buffalo, it's like, oh, no, this is not it's not going to happen again. You just like you're hoping. But like, no, the title's <sighs> going to stay somewhere else. Every year you're just disappointed that. Yeah. Yeah, God hasn't shown up in the way that right. It's the hope to. that kills you, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what's so interesting about this chapter is that it really is like 
a peaceful one in the sense of like Israel seems to be kind of getting back on track. Like at the end of the last chapter, people tried to look into the ark and so they die. And then then it's like, okay, now the ark just stays here. That was like, that was it. And now it's sort of like, well, they're carrying it up and it's going to sit here. But even talks about like there was 20 years it was there. They lamented and it seems like they're actually like walking through a process of repentance which is what like the water poured out and like the fasting and all that stuff hmm. seems to be associated with like these rituals of repentance and like hmm. trying to do serious business with God. And so it's really interesting like that this chapter sort of feels pretty chill in that way. And and so you start to get like, oh, maybe the story is going to go differently. And then, you know, we'll get to chapter eight when it sort of goes the other way, but yeah. um, and th- I mean, this like is kind of the cycle hope. that we've seen yeah. throughout the old Testament, right? Like, okay, we're coming back. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Mm. Well, yeah, we talk about that a lot when you talk about judges, right? There's the cycle of the judges and that's kind of what Samuel is doing here. He is prophet, priest and judge. So he's doing like all of this work and you know, there is sin, they cry out. God answers, they, you know, they sort of like repent and it's all great and they serve him and then they like sort of go back. And I can't remember, I wrote this question down. Was there like, I don't remember there being any type of ceremony where everyone is like, okay, Eli's dead. Samuel, you're the new guy. Mm. It must have, right? Like it must have happened within this 20 years that he became more prominent as the, as a leader. Yeah, it just sort of feels like it was assumed like he was, I mean, Eli's sons are dead, so it's obviously not them. Mm-hmm. And so I think Samuel just ends up being the one that that steps in as a leader, or at least he's the one that seems to be communicating with God for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. God's talking through him. And so they seem to be listening. Kate, can you talk to us about the water offering? Is that like similar to a drink offering or what's going on there? Yeah, it's funny um, because that was one of my questions too. I was like, what is like, what is this? I've not seen anything about water like this before. Mm -hmm. And that's because this is the only place where something like this happens in the Bible. Yeah, my comment doesn't actually happen anywhere else. Hmm. But somebody was saying that it's called a libation ritual. And that there were there's some evidence that this sort of happened in other ancient Near Eastern cultures and its connection with fasting probably in this sort of context probably indicates that it was a signal of like their repentance because that's sort of what they would do. They would do fasting before then. Typically, like the offering of water and like animals in other cultures would have been like sacrifices to feed their gods that obviously doesn't have that connotation in the Israelite context, but it does seem to be sort of borrowed from the people around them. Mm-hmm. This commentary, the first and second Samuel for everyone that I have also posed the question that perhaps the rules in the Torah were not operative in the day of Samuel, that they may have, mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that was an intriguing thought mm-hmm. that maybe they were, they're like, okay, we know that there's been rituals in the past that have been done. And so these are this is what it's going to look like. <laughs> yeah, they're sort of like trying to throw everything at the wall is what it's sort of like. We'll just do everything. Yeah. Let's do it all. Let's show God we're serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it works, right? At the time, they are at least do appear to be serious. Yeah. And so the Philippines, the Philippines, the Philistines, <laughs> very different situation. <laughs> try to attack they get wind of this and apparently these sort of like religious ceremonies tend to happen before people go into battle so maybe Mm. they thought that they were gearing up for something i don't know if it was like a fear response or if they were just oh they're all in one place let's kill them okay that makes sense yeah so that's they sort of jumped in to attack and so it was really interesting that they were thrown into confusion and i was just like man where have we seen that feels like it might be relevant? Like in what context today are we seeing people like thrown into confusion? I mean, besides ourselves. <laughs> mm. Okay. So th- this is really helpful context, both what Amanda shared about the fact that this, there's a 20 year gap here between chapter six and seven. 
it's kind of like the gap in between episodes three and four of Star Wars. Okay, got to take it back to the OG information. Um, every so, every episode. Yeah, and then we're so fast forward. So now, because that's helpful, because in my mind, I was like, "But the Philistines, y'all, you just got, you just yeah, got I, dealt I have questions with." Questions about this twenty-year period. Like even yeah, like, I mean, what even time if it's, did you forget about the right? And you know. <laughs> Listen, they were golden hemorrhoids. So (laughs) they were. So in the Jewish study Bible, they were saying that 20 years is like half a generation. Mm. Oh, I I guess if everybody's living till 40. Yeah. It's sort of like if you're looking at like how numbers are used in the Bible, 40, 40 sort of feels like the cycle, like um, in judges, everything sort of happens in 40 year cycles. Uh, And so this is like half of that. Okay. Which I guess okay. sort of makes sense if Samuel's judging, and then maybe we jump forward more, and that's like the the completion <laughs> of the generation. Eight, he's an old yeah. man. <laughs> chapter eight, he's an old fella. So yeah. this is sort of happening in the middle, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. See, every time I want to pick on old school Israel, I'm like, okay, yeah, but we're doing that in the modern day. Like we we forgot <laughs> For what sure. happened last election cycle. So. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe give them some grace. We are. Yes. That was my thought too. And I was reading this like, oh, that's us. I hate it. Okay. So (laughs) it's human nature, I guess. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, all right. So, now, Star Wars. We're back to Star Wars. Okay. (laughs) So, do we think that? this was a literal storm that we're talking about in verse 10, where it's like God sent the thunder was the chaos that was, that caused them to scatter. Was that a literal thunderstorm? Do we think? No, I don't feel like they would have. And maybe this is just, I don't know enough about weather patterns in the middle East, (laughs) but like, I don't feel like, well, I would say I don't feel like thunderstorms are so out of the ordinary, but I'm also from Texas and apparently people don't have thunderstorms like we have thunderstorms because they're always talking about them. It's I don't true. know if you've experienced this, Robert, when people are like, yeah, Texas thunderstorms are just the best. I'm like, really? I don't understand. They're they're terrible and they're normal. <laughs> I don't know why you care. <laughs> so maybe they're not normal in that context and it would be confusing and scary, especially if you're sort of prepared for battle so you're probably not like in your safest most protected spot and it seems like how the author is writing like both in whatever translation my commentary is in and then the new living translation both include that kind of imagery of a voice so this kind of it's my turn to do a movie reference are you ready (laughs) yeah it's kind of like in harry potter in the movies (laughs) In in the Deathly Hallows, when Voldemort sort of like projects his voice right into everybody's heads, that's mm. sort of like what was going through my head is like they just sort of like heard the voice of the Lord in their head and just sort of like started freaking out about it. Mm. So yeah, that was that was my pop culture reference for you. So we found we found the the genre that Kate taps into when she's reading the Bible. It's yeah. fantasy, Harry Potter. Um, Got it's it. It's Harry Potter all the time. <laughs> I okay. can give a whole lecture about the gospel in Harry Potter sometime if you want to. I, <laughs> a special episode. I've got a whole coming thing. next week. <laughs> there actually is a podcast episode about it, so you can head back to like <laughs> season three, I think. And I did a whole episode about it. So anyway, I just sort of whatever it is, yeah, it sort of like sends them into a panic, and they just sort of like I don't know, they sort of run. I I'm trying to imagine. Like what they're doing. It sort of feels like a Three Stooges skit or something. We're like running around and like bumping into each other and like <laughs> like surprised to see each other. Yeah, you've got sort of like the Benny, the Benny Hill like music going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then everyone dies at the end. Yeah. Except you die. It's wonderful. <laughs> so that's what was happening to me. But I don't know, but I don't think it has to be literal in order for, like, I think we right. see mass confusion all the time mm-hmm. now <clears throat> around all the different things that people rally around or um, listen to or don't listen to. So 
So I don't even think that it has to be something as physically frightening as a thunderstorm if you're not used to those in order to send a panic, right? Like Mm -hmm. you just think back to like the satanic panic or like all the moral panics that we've had, right? Like everybody, (laughs) there are things that throw people into confusion and, you know, unite them around different stuff, but they, Mm. um, but it doesn't actually mean anything and they end up. Yeah. Right. So they could have have heard these stories about Yahweh and then something (laughs) happens and they attribute that to him and then are suddenly like, we got to get out of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about attributions? I mean, there's, I'm, I'm having um, not struggles, but I, I find myself wondering as I'm listening to the text in this chapter and in the next chapter, like how much of this has to do with sort of propaganda or at least perspective point of view, particularly in light of our conversation with Robert Monson for that episode, like who's telling this story. So in verse four, it says that the Israelites put away their bales and Ashtoreths and they served the Lord only. But then in the next chapter, one of the things that God holds against them, or at least brings up in chapter eight, verses seven and eight, he goes all the way back to Egypt. He says, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me. It's listen, it's not, it's not you. It's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes all the way back to Egypt. And he's like, this is just like when they were worshiping other gods in Egypt. And I'm like, so are they, from chapter seven to chapter eight, have they started, have they repented and put away all their idols and then they pick them back up within the next chapter just that quickly? Or is it kind of more like God is bringing up the past and saying like, this is like before, in which case These it feels a little bit. Yeah. But well, it's also kind of like, but God, why are you bringing up old stuff? Like we just, <laughs> Well, I think too, right? It sort of depends on how we're defining idols because Mm. it's even if they're even if they're not worshiping other gods, they are a either look they're at least looking around at other cultures and wishing Mm. that they were more like them, Mm. and b instead of wanting God to be their king, they want somebody else to be their king, Mm. and so I think I think whether or not there are other quote unquote gods involved, there are certainly idols involved. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily even like a hard physical idol, but more idolatry, idolatry of thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do Mm. think that there is an implication that at least they're comparing themselves to other societies and want something that fits, that feels more like that. So there could be the idea that they have gods as well but like we would say lowercase g gods um mm. idols <clears throat> physically but i don't know that that's necessary for the story because it's definitely clear that there's something else that they're wanting to put before their relationship with god mm. <laughs> yeah so with that maybe let's talk about that robert do you want to recap real quick i know we've just sort of touched on it but yeah if you want to tell us what happens in chapter eight yeah, so chapter eight, aka the remix of chapter two. Um, yeah. My mm-hmm. notes are titled "Here We Go Again." <laughs> so Samuel's getting old. He appoints his sons as Israel's leaders, um, which feels which a lot like super great. So great, su- right? No nepotism, no concerns there. <laughs> All those no nepo babies, <laughs> right? <laughs> HR is super cool with it. And so they, he, he names the firstborn Joel, the second Abijah, which according to Google, Joel means Yahweh is God. Abijah means my father is Yahweh. So there's like this circular kind of like, you know, my, you know who my dad is kind of going on here. So again, no red flags. This this totally reminds me of like in Twitter where like someone has a bio, it's like husband, father, pastor. You know, like it's the same kind of like you know who this guy's gonna same be. Same vibes. Yeah. Same exactly. vibe. Right. Same vibe. 
So then we learn chapter, or sorry, uh, verse three. His son doesn't follow. His sons don't follow their his ways. They turn aside after dishonest gain and accept bribes and perverted justice. Called it. Um, <laughs> feels a lot like Eli's kids. Um, back in chapter two and three. Yeah, even though Samuel was a good guy, right. somehow, yeah, his kids end up in the same. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. So all the pastor's kid, right? Ooh. Uh Ooh. (laughs) Throwing stones. We're gonna get some letters off. Is it? Is it? Letters care of Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor's kids reach out, refute this if this is wrong. So the elders in Israel gather, they come to Samuel and they're like, look, your, your boys are rotten. So can, can we have a King please? (laughs) Now in my mind, I'm like, Hey, that, that makes sense to me because we're talking about two generations of priests whose boys who take over the priesthood or have priest duties are rotten. But Samuel goes to God about it. God says, no, I don't like this. And maybe it's because there's some idolatry there, but I want you to listen to everything that they have to say. And then when they're done, you're going to tell them these are all the bad things that are going to happen if you have a king and then let them make their decision. And they hear all these things and they say, yeah, we still want a king. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, we're going to be slaves. Our daughters are going to be cooks and perfumers and bakers. And you're going to make our boys go fight your wars. Cool, cool, cool. We're good with all that. Good, good, good. Um, <laughs> but I get like some in it, some like uh, non fungible tokens off of this, right? Or something like that. <laughs> and so then God's like, okay, cool. I'm going to have you appoint a king. Everybody go home and um, we get ready for chapter nine. That's kind of my favorite part is like, he's like, yeah, tell them that they get what they want. And Samuel's like, just go home. You all, I don't like, You're drunk, Israel, go home. God, like, he's not even going to tell them that like God is giving them what they want. He's like, just leave. Just, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this right now. <laughs> I need to be in a better headspace before I do this. It made me laugh so much. It was just like. So Samuel told them to go home. I was like, go, okay. Get yeah. out of here. Good for you, Samuel. Way to do that. And like, <laughs> respect that boundary. Know that you needed some time. You needed some time. <laughs> it's, I just need a minute. Just shaking his head. Like, <laughs> this also reminds me of like medication commercials where at the very end, they list all of the side effects. <laughs> You're going to lose your land and your sons are going to die and they're going to take all of your property. <laughs> Either <laughs> slave, it's totally fine. Some side well, effects may include. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting to me about these two stories being like next to each other is like what they're looking for is essentially someone to go out before them in battle. That's what seems to be the thing. Like they yeah. plan on fighting, they want to go out. Like Samuel does all the other stuff, like as a mediator that kings would do, except for the military stuff. They're like, no, we definitely want the military stuff. But they're like, we want someone to go out before us. We want somebody to fight with us, to fight for us. But you rewind to chapter seven and God literally did that whole thing, right? He was like, (laughs) he went out before them. He confused everybody. And that's sort of like been their whole story. Like if you go back to Exodus, it's like the Lord went before them. You go back to Joshua, the Lord went before them. Mm -hmm. And all this time they're like, no, we want someone to go before us. And he's like, hi, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? Like, it's the so unhelpful really thinking style of like disqualifying yeah. the positives or a mental filter of like, that's not the story. They're like, but it doesn't look like everybody else's situation. So maybe, maybe we try it a different way. What do you think? Uh, so, okay. Can I push back on this? Because yeah. I have thought the same thing as you all up until the point that I read this or reread this. Okay. I I mean, everything, like, I mean, all the political stuff that you see online when you're 
like in sort of Christian circles is that they'll say, and Israel wanted a king, you know, like it kind of harkens back to this idea of like, we, we're not getting it. God is supposed to be our number one priority. But the way that the text reads, it says the elders, so in verse four, the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old. Your sons don't follow your ways. Yeah. You're 40, my man. Your AARP card just came in the mail and your kids aren't following your ways. So appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. They've seen, whether it's been 20 years or not, they've seen Eli and his sons and just all the havoc that was caused there. And now they're seeing it again. I feel like it's fair for the people mm. if they feel like the the priests aren't doing an awesome job of leading and um, setting up a lineage for the priesthood. It seems fair to say, hey, we need a new system because we're not going to go through this again because we do remember our history. Right. So, yeah, but I've so always they were read trying it. To be preemptive. Yeah. And so like I I know that that's not the conclusion that the text wants us to draw or that the author wants us to draw, but kind of going back to point of view and sort of who's telling the story. I mean, even in verse 6 it says when they said give a king to us, this this, this excuse me. Okay. <laughs> give a king to us, this displeased Samuel. It doesn't say they said this and God burned hot with anger or it angered God. Mm. Like he, he heard this too. So I, I kind of feel like the point of view that we're getting here may be the filter of Samuel as a priest, who's the leader, whose sons are the troublemakers and the reason that the people are complaining in the first place. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like how are we being a little too hard on the Israelites for saying you're corrupt. You're allowing this to happen. You you see what your sons are doing. We want a different system. Yeah. And do we have the power of hindsight, right? Like it's giving me a little bit of these church, church board vibes where everybody's mm. trying to make the best decision moving forward. But then when you have the rest of the story play out, you can look back to that point and be like, oh, Maybe that wasn't the best decision. Mm. It's your I fault mean, the carpet's green. Yeah. I think I think I'd be more on board if there wasn't more conversation about it where they like wanted to go out and battle and they wanted to do these things. Like I think there is it there is more to their request. I now it may have start like like a lot of things, it may have started in a good place, right? Of like wanting a different system because clearly what's happening isn't working right now. But I sort of, I sort of get stuck at, at sort of like what comes after that. Um, because they're at least their communicated reasoning, like for some of this doesn't seem to track with, they just sort of like want, they want a different system, but they want it because they don't want God's system. Mm. One of the, Okay. One of the commentaries I was reading, oh, in the Cultural Background Study Bible, I like highlighted these because <laughs> I thought it was such an interesting, uh, I really liked how he put it. He said they want a king who would successfully bring the deity into play so they could carry out their national agendas instead of waiting on the action of the deity alone. Mm. They wanted God's mm. power, but not his control. Mm. I get that. <laughs> I, I like, feel that. I'm going to have to sit with that for a minute because that feels. Yeah. I can relate. <laughs> I want the control <laughs> and the power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. It's just so hard for me through the lens that I'm looking at right now to accept that. I, I believe that. It, I believe that that's true. I believe that. Sure. That that that's the right view in my heart of hearts, <laughs> but I'm struggling. I'm struggling with some of the language that's used. So like one of the things that I struggle with too, is in the next little three verses, 
Um, God says, listen to the people. They haven't rejected you. It's me. Listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Why is it so important for Samuel to listen to God if the conclusion has already been made that this is a bad idea? Like, I, it, this gives me the kind of like the, the church board feelings that Amanda's talking about, where it's like, we're going to have a meeting where everyone can sort of air their grievances. You can tell us what, what you're feeling, give us some feedback. Okay. We're going to see if there's some areas for improvement. And you got some person that's over there nodding, smiling, writing notes in the corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good point. And then as soon as everybody walks out the door, you know, crumple up the paper, throw it in the trash. <laughs> You know, that was crap. We're not doing any of that. You know, like I, it, it just gives me this, this vibe, like, listen, listen, let them vent. And then we're just going to do what, what they say, but it's going to be, it's going to go bad for them. But like, we're not really engaging in their complaints and like, maybe the, maybe the solution wasn't a king, but maybe there was some middle ground between the two. And this wasn't really a conversation or a, dialogue it's more like you just listen let them vent and then give them what they want well i I mean even in judges right like it wasn't handed down family to family to be a judge of israel so though samuel appointed that i think there would have been the potential and possibility of god raising up another prophet or judge to lead without there being a king Mm. but they really wanted a king like that was their specific request and he sort of gave them over to their like choice when and it yeah i mean i want think to eat halloween candy and you're like okay but <laughs> well i mean and that's the thing i that's sort of where i get it's where i get stuck with a lot of different theologies is that i i think god really does respect our free will and you know including halloween candy Including how let us eat it, you know, and then we'll get all a of your decisions. <laughs> He's like, you know, you know, I'm going to tell you up front what this is going to do to you. It will, it will ruin you. But you know, I'm going to let you make that decision, and I'm going to respect it. And sure, you'll come back, but you're going to have to go through some of this because you sort of chose a path with these kinds of consequences. And that's sort of what stood out to me was like, this is kind of like an exercise in watching God respect the free will of the people making a decision. But it also did sort of like set up this. Another thing I wrote down because he was talk because God was like laying out all of the things they were so worried about like what would happen from the outside, which is why they wanted a King to lead them militarily. But God was saying, no, actually the inside will has more potential to destroy you, right? Mm. Like the threat is actually in from in here. The call is coming from inside the house. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought that was such an interesting perspective. Like they were worried about all these other nations and like competing with them or mm. being taken down by mm-hmm. them. And God is like, no, actually, this guy is going to take your money and going to take your land and going to take your children. Oh, yeah. And it's going to this is the thing that's actually going to like oppress you. And, and Hmm. that was sort of like an interesting dynamic for me when reading this too. Hmm. I'm going to, because I did feel kind of like some of the churches (laughs) been a part of. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ponder this because I, I don't know. Maybe we should start a section for first Samuel called um, devil's advocate with Robert Callahan. Your local local defense attorney for devils, demons, spinoff. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, super interesting. I I found I found it really interesting that as so like from verses thirteen to seventeen, all the different things are being listed off. That this is what's going to happen if you have a king. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your sons. Um, The best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, and give them to the attendants. Your grain of your vintage and give it to the officials in attendance, your male and female servants, a tenth of your flocks, and, your, and you yourselves will become his slaves. That sounds like 
especially that last line, that sounds like a callback to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think there were a lot of allusions to Egypt there. <clears throat> okay, and then in eighteen, he says you're going to cry out for relief from the king, but the Lord will not answer you on that day, which is the opposite of what happened in Egypt because the people called out to God and He heard them. And then, well, and I think. <laughs> He eventually does, even in here, right? Mm, yeah. Eventually. We're not there yet, but. So the people refuse to listen to him. And I thought it was interesting in 21, it says that Samuel heard all that the people said, and he repeated it before the Lord. He was taking the notes. Yeah. I mean. I I don't know. Like I, I I've definitely had conversations with God where I'm like, okay, God, you heard what these people said, or like this person hurt me in this way, and you like listed the things out specifically. But but the Lord Himself heard all of this. Like this happened in full view. So I'm I'm just I was sort of wondering what the what the text is telling us when it says that Samuel is repeating it before the Lord. Like, is that literally like he goes back and, you know, tells God like, you know, word for word, this is what the conversation was, or is this kind of like a way of him saying out loud in the hearing of all the people, this is, this is what you've asked for. Like what's what what's the illusion that's being made there, or what's the um, what is the the vocabulary that's being used there, trying to actually communicate? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that we can know mechanics, but I think generally speaking, like the priestly class or the judges were sort of the mediators, right? Or even prophets, right? Other people didn't seem to necessarily hear from God in the same way, but they were deliverers of the message of God. Um, They gave the word of the Lord. And I think that's the role that like Moses, right? Like that was the role that Samuel is playing. Um, So I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if it just didn't like now we sort of the Holy spirit mediates like Mm. for us is in us. And so I don't know, I don't, I don't know exactly, like, I think we'd be, all just be guessing as to, like, how all of that worked. Yeah. But I would say that they sort of played, like, a mediation role, mm-hmm. whatever that looked like. And so I don't know that it's, that God didn't hear, right. but maybe it was in order for Samuel to communicate and then hear back. Like sometimes I think our talk, our talking to God is more for us than it is. Like it's obviously more for us than it is for him (laughs) in a lot of ways. And so I think sort of it's possible that this role was for that too. Right. It wasn't just that it's not that God couldn't communicate directly if he didn't want to, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, he appointed a human in order to mediate the message both directions. That's another good Kateism. Sometimes I feel like our talking to God is more for us than it is for him. That's another good one. Clip that. Paste it. <laughs> Mark it down. Quote it. No, it's good. It's true. Um, What is your thought about, so the language in verse 12 where it says one of the things that's going to be the result of having a king is that others are going to plow his grant, plow his ground and reap his harvest. That reminded me of the language that's used at the fall. Mm-hmm. And just like the idea, like you're going to till the land. Um, give me a second. Okay. Sorry. Um, that, that kind of, made me think that there's like two callbacks here, like one to Egypt, one to the fall. And just like, this is how bad it's going to be. And I wonder if that, that generation heard it that way. 
I mean, I think it's definitely possible if we're picking up on it, it. They certainly would have probably, especially if he's saying like, not only will he like, he'll appoint people to do this, but then he will also take things from you. So not only will he take you from your fields, he'll take your fields from you and he'll make you work all this ground for other people to benefit from. So it does sort of have that like toil and labor feel Mm -hmm. that would have been, but that's, I mean, that's what happens when you break Shalom, right? When you break the relationships and the, the connectedness of yourselves and creation, you end up in these weird systems sometimes. Mm. I also thought it was interesting. Like he will demand a 10th of all of these things mm-hmm. where it almost yeah. felt like obviously God was setting up the seemed to be setting up this dichotomy between you can serve a king or you can serve me kind of mentality. Cause it would have been like, you know, 10% of your stuff before goes to God as the king or <clears throat> which would have been given to everybody. But now it's like this 10% he'll take and he'll give it to certain people or he'll save it for himself. Mm-hmm. And, or you can be slaves to this person but that sort of felt like instead of saying you could have just been like servants to me. And mm-hmm. so there were very... <clears throat> The different ways it goes back to like they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me as their king. They don't want me as their king anymore. They want this situation. Um, and so I was catching some of those callbacks too that maybe have been to some of the earlier law or teachings around like how you handle money and take care of each other. Because now that sort of regulation would come from a different source. Mm. Mm-hmm. I also like how many exclamation points like they are really confident in their <laughs> choice like verse 19 and said they said no there will be a king over us they're like really excited <laughs> about this <laughs> makes you wonder if like they even listened at all about like what could potentially happen they're like no no it'll be great trust us we know <laughs> yeah you know that's a really great point is from a transactional standpoint, all the different things that are listed that the king is going to take from them, very specific things that are going to happen to their sons, things that are going to happen to their daughters, things that are going to happen to their animals, things that are going to happen to their land. But what they want in exchange is in 19 and 20, a king to lead us and go before us and fight our battles. Like it's not about the priesthood, right? Like they don't go to Samuel and say, you're corrupt and we want a new leader or a king to lead us because we want a, more righteousness from our, from our leaders. Yeah. Or we, we want to be it's led like, in holiness. It's like they're okay with being oppressed so long as they are also getting to oppress. Mm. Oh, snap. Like he's gonna lead us into battle so that we can take control, right? Yeah. (laughs) So that we can take control of all these people. So it's okay if Mm. we give a little, because that'll be worth it. That's what it feels like. Come on. (laughs) 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 We're gonna have church. (laughs) Well. Wow, that's um that's not like us though. That's no, we would never do that. Never. And we certainly wouldn't have exclamation points behind any of those, <laughs> any of those choices. Not not America 2023. Oh. I don't know what you're talking Never. about. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is so funny because like I always am like, don't read America into Israel. Like that's not the same thing. But sometimes it's like, okay, now. Nah, yeah, I, I sort see of see it. it I see it. Yeah. <laughs> if we're talking about this, I'm with you. If we're yeah. talking about like being God's chosen people, then we're going to have a problem. <laughs> but- Isn't it interesting that we want all the benefits of being God's chosen people, but we don't want to take any of the lessons learned from being God's chosen people? Like we don't want to take any detriment from the idea. Like if we're if if we're going to impose ourselves on the text, we only want good things from it. We don't want to learn from it. Yeah. yeah. Right? The sense yeah. of Christian nationalism that we need to 
put people in charge that are, I don't, yeah, I kind of see some echoes of this of like, mm-hmm. okay, but what do you lose? The hearts of the people and this and this and this and and they're like, no, doesn't matter. Well, and even <laughs> you end up losing, like one of the things I wrote down was like, empire will always steal from you. So it doesn't uh, matter if mm-hmm. you're even closer to the top of the pyramid, mm-hmm. like <clears throat> you might get some of that redistribution of like of other people's resources, but you know, you're still in this thing that's like crumbling and stealing from people. So you're a part of like this system that isn't working Mm -hmm. for most of the people involved. Mm -hmm. And, and as soon as you step out of line, even if you are at the top, you're going to end up in a spot Mm -hmm. where it's not so beneficial for you either. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's so precarious which is why people have to fight for it so hard because they have to stay on top. Mm. And it goes back to like, it's okay if I step on other people. Like Mm. if I'm having to give up things so long as I can make other people give up things and that Mm. benefits me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. We're never going to get as much out of it as we give or or as much as taken from us, but we feel like as long as we're getting more than someone else that it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I like I've done that, so I can't even be like, yeah, capitalism. Like, I can't just like point at everybody else, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because there have been times when I'm like, well, it's okay that that's happened because at least I'm doing better than that or whatever. Like, I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. times in my life and probably even now, like there are things that I probably feel extra self-righteous about that (laughs) I probably shouldn't. (laughs) So I think it's. It's very careful, like, because, again, I still feel like I have to sometimes justify where I am Mm -hmm. or where I want to be or to stay at the top of the pecking order. Mm -hmm. But even though it feels like it's benefiting me, it's destroying me as much as I'm destroying other people by fighting for that place. Right. Like as much as I like railing against capitalism, I also benefit in some ways. From capitalism mm. and that's well hard. and we like we and in a way we have to participate right there yeah. isn't like a there's not really an easy choice to just sort of like i'm out <laughs> not do it it's how our society is structured there is a sense in which until the system is completely changed we have to participate in order to survive but even if we do that communally but it's more about what is our posture and participating in that and what are we willing to give and take or to let go of in that system so that we are at least in integrity with our values and not just trying to keep more for ourselves mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. we we are on top of the pyramid, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, real light conversation. <laughs> and on that note. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else? What else sort of like what are Anything else to talk about before we do takeaways? Kind of a macro takeaway. So one of the things that if chapter eight is a remix of chapter two, one of the things that we held against Eli in chapter two was that his sons were sort of running rampant and he allowed that. And there was sort of like this sense of, not greed, but kind of like this sense of like entitlement or like pride in holding this title because he could have used the opportunity in theory, right, to call his sons to repentance or to remove them, appoint other people or something like that. But there's like this sense of holding on to power. So we see that and it's pretty clear and we hold it against Eli. But when we get to Samuel, there's not that same sort of tone or feeling, even though it's the same kind of relationship. He's in the position of authority. Yeah. His sons are running rampant. Maybe it's because we've been endeared to Samuel because we've seen him as a child and seen him being given into ministry and then growing into the role. Yeah. We didn't see Eli, so we don't know his background and how he came into the position that he started at when we meet him. But 
I just feel like there's a little bit of like an unfairness that we sort of yada yada over what Samuel is allowing to happen under his watch. Yeah. I mean, I do think it is an interesting comparison because to your point, I think we sort of like look at um, Eli's inability to keep his kids in check or even to attempt to like, Mm -hmm. he even sort of doesn't like he confronts, but doesn't do anything about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And Samuel, it's, unclear like it's unclear as to how knowledgeable he was about it but i mean the people knew and then they told him so you sort of get so i find it hard to believe that he was completely ignorant of what was happening Mm. but you're right i think there is sort of a prejudice there and it it weird me it weirdly made me think of like the fall wells (laughs) As let's do. burn it down let's go Kate <laughs> let's go send your letters like care this whole, of like this whole idea of of like passing things down in a family versus like mm. passing on like to the best leaders like right. whether that's a mm-hmm. church or a ministry or like whatever we sort of sometimes get there's like this idea of what family legacy is, mm-hmm. even if it's pretty clear that some of the kids don't want that. Like, mm-hmm. um, for all of Jerry Senior's faults, like I think, and and in all the ways that I disagree with so many of the things, mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends who went to Liberty, and they were like, he genuinely was a nice guy mm-hmm. who like was was living out what he thought faithful living was. Right. And so I, I don't get the sense that there was a lot of like, um, strong hypocrisy kind of thing in Mm -hmm. him. Um, and, but like his quote unquote empires, right. Went down to his sons, whether they were qualified for those roles, either in skill or in integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, just because they were his sons and not necessarily because that was the best thing, even for this thing that he built that he thought was helping people. Mm -hmm. And so it just sort of like made me think of some of those situations. And I know that that's not even the only one. Like I even think of like a Dave Ramsey, who's like his daughter is all up in his stuff now. And so like, that'll probably pass down to her whenever it's time. And that's maybe kind of different because I think that's a business Versus like a non, I may be a nonprofit. I don't know. But even just thinking about how we choose spiritual successors mm. to lead, whether that's our own or, or who we look to. Cause I think there's a lot of, it just sort of made me reflect on that whole situation and how that just like, yeah, that was mm. not it in any way. And even that, you know, Falwell's quote unquote good son still sort of like covered up a lot of things Mm -hmm. or was a part of some of those things that didn't work great. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be like super political or whatever about it, but it, I think it does make, it should prompt us to think about not just like how we parent or how you guys, how people who parent parent, but how we go about, shaping these things for the future of the church that aren't just handed over to people because I don't know, they're, they're supposed to be, or, Mm -hmm. you know, like there needs to be better criteria than just blood, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's not a fully formed thought, but that's sort of where my mind went as I was reading but I do think you're right that it is an interesting contrast that even Samuel had trouble with this. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that says about Samuel, but it clearly didn't feel like like the author was trying to make a big deal of it. It was just sort of a, and you know, <laughs> that wasn't a thing, which was also really interesting because of the big deal that it was with mm-hmm. Eli. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe, that was a really interesting narrative choice. <laughs> maybe we know who wrote a text by whose faults get minimized. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the new rubric that we should. Samuel was like, Eli was terrible, but <laughs> my kids were bad, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. That's on them. <laughs> I was traveling. They were in Beersheba. <laughs> who even knows what goes on? Oh. <laughs> uh, Love it. Um, Interesting. Was yeah. there anything you wanted to talk about specifically there, Robert? Or that was Mm-mm, it? No, you kind of nailed it. That was good. Okay. Well, you got a takeaway then? Happy and holy takeaway. Yeah. So um, for my happy, I think that it's really interesting reading these two chapters, what we choose to trade when we reject God. Mm. There's a transaction that's happening here and for as much as i want to give credit to the israelites of wanting to try to do a good thing i think that it does at the end of the day boil down to they had priorities other than the whole and full worship of god with all of our heart soul and mind and that's events at least at minimum with the fact that the thing that they're wanting out of this transaction was a king to go before them. It wasn't to be closer to God. It wasn't to be led in righteousness. It wasn't to be more holy and to love neighbors better and have a a closer relationship with God and a better understanding of who he was. They wanted something very specific, which was power. I think ultimately. And so they were willing to trade sons, daughters, lands, crops, freedom, literally and spiritually and mentally, despite the callbacks to Egypt, despite the callback to the fall. And I don't think that that's limited to Israel. I think that that's something that we do today in our attempts to be close to political power, um, our -hmm. attempts to gather wealth as an insulator from poverty and from heartache. Um, And so it's just another instance in where we are in the text that we're reading and I think that it's worth remembering that as we're judging the Israelites, what we're really doing maybe is judging ourselves and needing to insert in our readings our own, the different ways in which we have these same similar shortcomings and just approach the text with like a sense of humility in that regard. Mm. In terms of my holy, I think that I have a real intellectual struggle that is bumping up against the spiritual mind, um, my sort of deconstruction lens. And it's really hard to take the, maybe not necessarily the literal words of the text, but the, the intent of the text um, for what it is meant to convey. It may not be the, the fact that the, text conveys perfectly what is meant when it says that Samuel relayed this information to God or what it's meant when we see Samuel compared to Eli and Samuel gets a pass and Eli doesn't. I still have to take from a spiritual sense without shutting off my intellect what is it that the text is attempting to tell me here or what is the thing that i'm needing to the lesson that i need to learn here and to take away and that doesn't mean shutting off my intellectual mind it doesn't mean that i stop asking questions but i do also need to keep my heart open to hearing and accepting a lesson inside of the text that is still applicable to me today and for us today, 
even if the words don't perfectly convey that in a way that I would love for them to, there's still something to be learned and gathered. And I want to be more trusting to God to convey that to me. Mm. And I think too, part of what I took away from our conversation with Robert last week was Sorry, the other Robert, Robert number two, um, <laughs> if he's listening. <laughs> um, <clears throat> is that sometimes we just have to live with the tension, right, mm-hmm. in scripture that like it doesn't all resolve mm-hmm. in the way that we want it to, and sometimes not at all. And so I think sometimes just sort of like continuing to work with the way that those things bump against each other mm-hmm. is part of the just like the work in general. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to make yourself wrong for bumping up against that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Good reminder. Amanda, takeaways. I feel like my happy and my holy are always the same thing. <laughs> That's okay. I just have one. That's just how it goes sometimes. <laughs> um, and I, I think it goes back to that sense of the text talking about the influence that we can have on God, right? Like I like that idea of a low ego God that is able to hear Mm. or integrate kind of the wishes of the people. But then Mm. I guess maybe the holiness too is right. Like understanding that the consequences of maybe my influence or my ask are also going to like, I'm going to have to ride those out. Um, so I like the idea of having influence or that I can ask for what I need and God can hear that. Um, and then I guess not, I don't know, not blaming, not (laughs) griping when I get what I asked for and there are consequences to it. When when what they told you ha- would happen happens, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she asked for this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I yeah. feel like my that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> um, I would say, I think what's so interesting is that we see sort of like both sides of the Israelites in these two chapters, like this, like very serious repentant posture. And then fast forward like 20 years and you see like the opposite kind of thing happening. Um, So I think part of that is just like remembering almost like what you were saying, Amanda, that like both of those potentialities exist in me, (laughs) you know, Uh and that every day I'm having to choose like who who my king is and what that Mm. looks like. And um, but also that like, you know, it's never fully too late. Like I may endure consequences, <laughs> but it's not like if I lament that God doesn't hear me. Yes. Um, and that God doesn't take seriously, even though I chose the pain, right? Mm. In that, even though I chose the consequence, um, that God still is present and eventually, you know, we sort of even out. So I think that's, that's part of like what I'm taking away is just like that this cycle exists in me too. So I can't necessarily be super judgy about it from the outside Mm -hmm. as much as I would like to be. Um, And as much as like my location sort of allows me to be right now, but I feel like um, also just remembering that it's not too late for me. And, but like the line too, that stuck with me is that like, you know, they wanted God's power, but not his control. Mm-hmm. And so really just thinking about the ways in which like I continue to want like God to show up for me or God to do this or God to do that, but that I'm not giving myself or allowing his influence over me in that situation either, where mm-hmm. I sort of like want to have my cake and eat it too. Like I want to, you know, have all of the benefits without all of the the hard choices that go with that Mm -hmm. um and so yeah not trying to like claw my way to the top of the pyramid (laughs) of success but like keeping in mind that if i do choose god as king that means 
a certain standard of integrity and a certain standard of justice and a certain standard of compassion and care for the people around me and for myself um, that is part of devotion to God. Mm. And then I can't just like, I can't choose one aspect of that over the other. Like I have to, I have to be integrated as much mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. Um, as much as I hope that influence to be integrated for me, mm-hmm. I guess. That's good. Good Kate. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you guys. This was fun. This was a good combo. We're going to make everyone mad, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Write to us. Give us your feedback. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I was good this week. I stayed oh. under the radar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. you're- Unless you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, well, you know. I mean, I compared I mean- God to Voldemort, so I'm not sure that I'm on good terms either. <laughs> mm. <laughs> any final insults or inflammatory yeah. statements? <laughs> any, anything else we want to get out of our system before we <laughs> recording? I can oh. tell God what to do. <laughs> he listens to me. He listens to me. <laughs> Send your requests to Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then God scattered right. Amanda with the <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go do a water ritual. Yeah, better get on it. Um, Robert, where can people find you? As always, you can find me on the socials, almost all of them at R. Callahan Waco. You can find me on Substack, which is Fire Friday Fire by Robert Callahan. And I'd love to hear from you. Amanda, how about you? Oh, at Hey Amanda Waldron on the socials and dot com on the internet. <laughs> dot com I'm just dot com (laughs) (laughs) dot com dot com (laughs) and in case you were confused dot com is on the internet so (laughs) have you heard of it the world wide web (laughs) in the computer sorry guys it's getting close to my bedtime which is why this is this is why it's devolving so much (laughs) I'm Kate. You can find me at kateboyd.co on Instagram, at thekateboyd on Twitter. And you can learn more about my book that's coming out in April. Um, yeah, yeah. As well as get a fancy private podcast that I set up um, about deconstruction, deconstruction if you're working through that. Or you can sign up for my launch team. All of that good stuff at anuntidyfaith.com. So... And are there pre-orders available for your book, Kate? Yeah, pre-orders are available at every major retailer. And if you go to that website, it'll um, link out to, it'll link you to all of them. So you can learn more about the book, see some of my fancy endorsements, and and it'll give you some links to some of the most popular places to buy books online anyway. (laughs) And you can maybe... And if you pre-order, it's more likely to also show up in bookstores for you to find later. So do that or request it at your local bookstore. I don't know if that's a thing, but you could try. <laughs> yeah, I think you can. <laughs> cool. Um, thank you guys for joining me. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope that you got as much out of it as we always do from these conversations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people find the show and learn along with us. And don't forget to find and follow us on social media. All our links are in the show notes and I can't wait until we see you next time. Bye-bye.